Greetings to those who watch below. Before we start today's Creepypasta video, I'd like to say thank you to those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership you can check out using the link in the description box. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B, Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, and Matthew Culkin. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel, making sure you hit that notification bell, and also following me on social media, on Instagram at brimstone underscore below, and also on Facebook at brimstone below. Also, if you really, really enjoyed the video, you can now leave me a super thanks as a very special way to say thank you. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Lover's Tree by Atlas Fitzgerald I had recently moved to the Yorkshire Dales with my rescue dog Splash, so named for his love of puddles, and this summer past we had ambled through the woodland on long walks on a weekend. He would always dart ahead, rustling through the leaf litter for insects or fallen branches, while I meandered about, taking photos to share with my friends back in the city. We had traversed this particular patch of wood before, but never before had I seen the witch elm. Knotted and lifeless, it towered over the bracken like a rotten hand. It was Splash who found it, and he sniffed around the roots as I caught up. My camera was a heavy weight around my neck. The tree was tall and somewhat misplaced among the lush greenery of the wood. I noticed in my approach that the trunk was heavily scarred, and moving closer still, I saw that the scars were man-made. Names and dates. Lou G and Paul, 1992. Niall and Lee, 1977. Mary Kay and Roy Al, 1954. I ran my fingers over the crudely scratched names with a sense of borrowed nostalgia. I imagined generations of young couples meeting at this apparent beauty spot that I never knew existed. The names stretched back decades, and the oldest I could find, now faint and barely legible near the detritus, was over 100 years old. Hattie and Ira, 1883. I began to snap away, circling the wide trunk while Splash zigzagged in and out of my legs. A deep hollow cut into the tree on the opposite side, and as I leaned in with my camera, my heart stopped. I dropped the camera and squinted at the names etched onto the ridge of the hole. Lou Bella Fitzroy and John McSee, 1984. Sometimes a memory of a time or a place or a person hooks into your mind like a barb, and you can go through your whole life never recalling it, but there it remains. And all it takes for the barb to be pulled is a familiar image, or an overheard word, or a name carved into a tree. That is how it was for me when I saw the name of my Aunt Belle and her then-boyfriend, John McLean, who had died in a car crash in Canada in the early 80s, back when I was just a boy. I'd never really known Belle, and tracing my memories, I can bring forth a face, but whether it belonged to her or it was just a composite of my own creation, I could not say. Belle was my aunt on my father's side, the Canadian side of the family. My father met my mother, native to these shores, while she was travelling through North America in the 1970s, and eventually they moved back to England, where they raised a family. What left me feeling at odds 
there by the witch elm, was that father's siblings and parents rarely visited the UK. As far as I knew, Belle never left Toronto, and yet here was her name carved into a tree in the heart of the Dales. In a strange way, I was morbidly excited. My mother and father moved from Toronto to London, where they had raised my brother and my sister and I. It seemed that Belle had visited us when I would have been three years old, and by chance she happened to travel to the part of the country in which I now lived. It was an incredible coincidence. I rushed home and gave Splash a bath, and once I cleaned the mud splatter from the bathroom tiles, I called my mum and asked her about it. Oh, I haven't heard that name in a while, she said when I told her of my discovery. But that can't be her. Belle never came to the UK. The only time you two met was when we went Christmas there, in what was it, 1982? Or 1981? When you were only two or three, I think. How old are you again? She rambled on in that way, and I tried to veer the conversation back, but each time she dismissed it. But how many Lubella Fitzroys could there be, let alone one who courted someone by the name of John McSee? I finished up the conversation and set about retouching the photographs I had taken, each time flicking back to the shot of Belle's name. I waited until later in the evening, all the while googling time in Toronto, until I felt confident that he had put my grandma to bed and called my father. Working through the usual pleasantries, the how-are-yous and what's-the-weather-like, I told him about my discovery. The line went silent. Where is this tree? he asked at last. I told him, or I began to, as before I could finish he interjected, cut it down. What? I can't just cut trees down in a national park, Dad. Just cut it down, right now. What's wrong? Did Belle visit then? It's pretty remarkable that she... They never left Toronto. Cut it down, for me, he urged, and I sensed the panic in his voice. I promised that I would, right away as he suggested, and hearing how troubled the topic made him, I decided not to push matters. I finished the call and went to bed, although I did not sleep. Thoughts of the witch elm swam in my mind, of Belle and John carving their names into the tree, tragic young lovers carving their names into history in the year that they would be taken from us. They never left Toronto. Those words, my father's fearful tone, what could it... how could that be? Every evening after work, after taking Splash home from his walks, I set about researching. I called my brother, my sister. Neither knew and neither seemed to really care. I contacted other relatives in Canada through Facebook and all were convinced that Belle had never left Canada. I became obsessed with the mystery, and yet ran into dead ends until I received a message from someone I did not know. Have you found the witch elm? I was taken aback, my heart racing. I immediately accepted the message request and looked through the profile. It was an older woman, Joy Martin, who looked to be in her fifties, and who was a mutual friend of a cousin who I had contacted earlier. Yes, I found a tree with my aunt's name carved into it in the woods near where I live. I waited. Cut it down. I stared at my screen, tired and lost down a rabbit hole of my own making. What do you mean? 
My dad told me to do the same thing, but I can't just go cutting down trees. Did you know, Bal? I waited. No response. After 30 minutes of refreshing messenger, I was interrupted by Splash, who stood by my office door with his lead dangling from his mouth. I was somewhat glad to get out of the house, and together we walked around the village. I did not go to the woods. Thinking of walking that way made me feel uneasy. When I returned home, I saw that I had a new message from Joy. I knew Belle, yes. We went to high school together. John was a bit older. We never liked him much. There was a rumour, one of those urban legend things, about a tree that just appears sometimes. The legend says that if you're going around with a boy or a girl and you carve your name into the tree, that it will test your love. If you both love the other, then nothing will happen. But if your love is not true, you will die a horrible death. We thought it was a bunch of baloney, of course. But then Belle goes on and says they found the thing. Well, being a curious bunch, we went on with them, and there it was, right out in a farmer's field. They go on and cut their names into the damned thing, and sure enough, a week later, they were dead. A drunk driver going the wrong way on the highway, if I remember right. A bunch of us decided to go back to the tree to make a mural out of it to both of them. But when we got there, it was gone, just vanished. I know it sounds silly, but it's troubled me ever since. Please, cut it down. I was stunned. Trees simply don't appear and disappear, and more than anything, they certainly don't claim the lives of young couples. It was absurd. I replied with thanks and promised that yes, I would cut down the tree. And yet the image of the witch elm haunted me, bored into my mind, and left me feeling cold. I googled the names from the photos, each time coming up short, until I searched for Mary Kay and Roy Al. A search result appeared from one of those ancestry sites, with an archived news story of one Mary Kilkenny and Roy Lankbury of Cork, Ireland, who had died in a house fire in 1954. It couldn't be true. It couldn't be true. I ploughed on, searching name after name, and then more stories appeared of young couples dying by the way of drowning, of suicide, of murder. I started searching for witch elm urban legends, tree urban legends, anything I could. At last I found a link to an old angel fire site, now defunct. I pasted the link in the Wayback Machine and found an archived page from the late 90s. The page was crudely put together, one of those old counters at the bottom showing 000127 visitors. The header, in garish green font on black starry background read, The Lover's Tree. It told of a tree in New England, on which young couples carve their names to test the strength of their love. So said the anonymous writer. The tree was supposedly haunted by Hattie James, a young woman who had fallen in love with a local boy by the name of Ira Newton. Hattie's remains were found in the tree in the winter of 1883, and soon after, Ira was tried and executed for her murder. Hattie and Ira, 1883. I grabbed my coat and hurried out toward the woods. It was dark, and I lost my bearings here or there. The susurration of the leaves disturbed by the gathering wind, sounding like names whispering on the wind. 
Hattie, Myra, Belle. I struggled through the wood until at last I came to the clearing where once the witch elm stood but stood no longer. This was the place, I was sure of it, but there was no longer a tree there, no roots, no hole in the ground, just leaf litter and bracken. I raced home and opened my laptop, awakening Splash with my clumsiness, who then barked and skittered about as though it was time for a walk. Not now, not now, please. I opened the picture in my editor. The tree was there, its twisting branches seeming now more horrible than when I had last seen them, and the trunk was bare, no name scratched onto the surface. I clicked through, unbelieving, and to my horror, there were only close-up shots of plain, decaying bark. I clicked on the picture that I had taken of Belle's name carved on the edge of the hollow. Her name was not there. I sat back into my chair, my mind swimming, and then it caught my eye. I leaned in closer, brightened the image, increased the saturation, played around with the levels, but it was still just too dark, just out of focus. I'm sure that there, from within the hollow on the very edge of the image, were fingers reaching out from the dark. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really, really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like, and also please subscribe to the channel, making sure to hit that notification bell so that you never miss a video. So, until next time, sleep tight.